All right, everyone, thanks for your patience uh, waiting for the uh, technical issues to be resolved. Uh, so today we're excited to welcome uh, Jerome Edge uh, from Lockheed Martin. Uh, so Jerome is a, uh, well, uh, security engineer working for Lockheed. He's uh, worked there for uh, over 20 years now and has spent uh, 10 years uh, developing secure systems for um, various aircraft. Uh, and he's here today to tell us about how to move away from uh, risk avoidance and uh, to instead manage risks. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Professor uh, Blocky. Um, Again, my name is Jerome Edge. Uh, if you can't hear me in the back, please let me know. Uh, I do speak softly, but uh, thank you for having me here at this uh, great university. Um, one of the uh, first things I like to do is uh, give a special thanks to Dr. Ben Coloni. He is uh, one of the Lockheed Martin Tech Fellows um, at Lockheed. He's one of my mentors as well. And this is a slide deck that he'd put together a few years ago. Uh, I've condensed it down to hopefully uh, the fit within the 50-minute uh, window, uh, probably a little less now uh, since we had some technical difficulties there as well. Uh, some of the outline topics of discussion that we'll be talking about, NIST, uh, National Institutes of Standards uh, Risk Assessment, they have a document out that uh, tells you how to do a risk assessment aspect. Um, we're going to go into the risk management. Um, Risk avoidance is not something that we need to look at. Uh, so while you can't necessarily avoid risk, but you can't make a system 100% secure as well. Uh, so we need to look at that uh, coordination, if you would, to ensure that we get the system in a correct, uh, uh, acceptable level of risk, uh, if you would, uh, level. Uh, some of the uh, quantitative risk analysis, it's a little more in depth than a, than a qualitative risk analysis. We're going to go through some examples from that, some classical examples, as well as uh, human life. Uh, assets, uh, human life is most certainly also an asset, specifically in DOD and warfare uh, uh, choices. So <clears throat> one of the things I want to get out of or convey to you in this uh, particular setting is I want you to get uh, critical thinking. I want you to start thinking about solutions. Uh, sometimes uh, risk, uh, vulnerabilities, attack vectors that fits one particular domain, even though that same risk is, is also available in another domain, it may not be as uh, prudent for you to go and put that implementation in or that control in place as well. Uh, so rather than saying this is how we did it before in the past, and so therefore it's the same as this other, uh, other domain that we're in or other system that we're in, I, we need to start developing solutions that are outside the box and not something that we've done uh, previously in the past. Um, so critical thinking and awareness, awareness of the environment that that particular system is going in, the environment that it's operating in. Uh, those are things that needs to be considered. Uh, solutions require the evaluation of that environment. Um, again, different solutions may have a same effect or impact within that same environment. Uh, within DOD, budgets are shrinking. Uh, corporations don't have the uh, money, the uh, available resources to put on systems, but they still require protection uh, or they still require the risk analysis to be done to determine whether your system is an acceptable level of risk, whether you need to go implement additional control 
um, and what that, um, uh, what that cost is. Uh, one of the things that you do not want to uh, have is spend more money than you're going to save. Um, so the value of the asset needs to be understood. Um, and then the value the, or the cost of the control for you to go mitigate and protect that information needs to be understood as well. Um, similar to your auto insurance, um, if your car is only worth X, you're not going to pay greater than X uh, in annual insurance costs for you to protect that investment or, or for you to protect that automobile. Um, one of my uh, pet peeves is marking of classified data. So dealing with Department of Defense, uh, we deal with a lot of classified information. Um, some people like to mark it at a higher level than it should be marked. Uh, when it's marked at a higher level, there's costs associated with being able to handle that, both in transit, storage of it as well. So by marking something inappropriately or incorrectly, uh, you're adding cost to the system. You're adding, um, someone has to go and handle that data at that level uh, rather than marking it correctly and handling, handling it in the fashion that it should be handled. Um, again, Conservative approaches in, uh, in the past have always been, well, this is how we've always done it. Um, and the critical thinking, uh, protection of uh, intellectual property, uh, the crown jewels of your system, whether it's uh, new development, uh, new items, those critical program information needs to be identified upfront uh, so you can put the necessary resources, put the necessary controls in place because you're wanting to keep that information either private or keep that information, whether it's consumer information, your credit card information from a corporate uh, Amazon uh, perspective, ordering off of amazon.com. Uh, you, you want to ensure that Amazon is protecting your information uh, as it should. Um, we can no longer gold plate or platinum, uh, I guess is the new term now, um, coat everything. Uh, we need to put the iron or the silver uh, in place. Uh, sometimes that's all that needs to be done to protect or, or to reduce the risk to an acceptable level. Um, some of the ways that we need to do that is we must provide a methodical process, methodology to do that risk assessment, to perform the risk assessment. So the executives of the corporation or the executives of the program management aspect can understand what risk it is that they're taking on um, and if that's an acceptable level or not. <clears throat> Every engineering design uh, will have trade-offs. Um, I can't do X because it uh, violates Y. Um, so you need to look at the, uh, the various trade-offs, the environment that it's in, um, reducing that risk and assurance uh, processes is, is required to do so. Uh, some risks cannot be anticipated. Uh, commercial products, we, ha we have varying uh, commercial products out there. We buy them all the time. They all come with warning labels. Um, sometimes the warning labels uh, are there for a purpose because someone actually uh, tried that. Um, I have a story, a Delta Airlines uh, guy that I know, uh, he works in Delta security and there was a gentleman that came to the airport, purchased a ticket, went to go through security. This was probably 15 years, 16 years ago, it was uh, probably before 9-11. Uh, he had a chainsaw and a can of gas. His brother had a tree down in his backyard. 
Uh, and so now there was a sign at the airport uh, security counter, no chainsaws and gas cans allowed on the flight. As one could imagine, that that's a, a dangerous environment for gas flammable items. Uh, I don't even think they let you take a, a lighter on the airplane anymore. Um, so some of these signs are there for a reason uh, because uh, it has happened. Uh, however, uh, when, even when used correctly, the consumer, uh, all consumers and, and customers, has to accept some residual risks. Uh, my wife uses a curling iron and occasionally she will burn her fingertips even though the curling iron is uh, hot by nature. Uh, so there is residual risk that you have to accept by using that particular product. Um, some security concepts and relationships. Um, most certainly the owners is responsible for ensuring that the uh, assets has been protected at an acceptable level. They're the owners of that information, whether it's the CEO, whether it's the program management for a DOD system. Um, they need to provide the value of that asset that you're trying to protect. Uh, likewise, threat agents or actors, threat actors, they also may provide a value on that asset that they're trying to um, obtain whether it's information, whether it's a denial of service attack, whether it's um, intellectual property. Um, countermeasures will reduce, or that may re help reduce the vulnerabilities. Um, vulnerabilities lead to, uh, to the risk. Um, some possible assets uh, can and will be compromised. Um, Threats, so the threat actors or threat agents will use uh, viruses, malware, um, some simple things, physical security, unlocked doors is also a, a threat as well. Um, ultimately though, the owner has to assign the value of the asset uh, in order for you to go through the risk analysis and determine whether the countermeasures in place is acceptable reduces the, the uh, associated risk, as well as uh, prevents the threat actor or threat agents from uh, attacking the system or obtaining the information from the system. Technologies that empower the U.S. to lead and create uh, will motivate cyber threat actors to also try to uh, exploit or disrupt or obtain that information. Uh, the three areas that Department of Defense is typically concerned with is confidentiality, uh, integrity, as well as availability. Uh, so that's your CIA triad. Um, there is ex ex exploitation of information, networks, and compromise of sensitive data. U.S. is vulnerable. Uh, companies, corporations are vulnerable as well to the loss of economic competitiveness. Uh, 2011, American Superconductor, a New England company, and uh, Wind Energy. Um, a employee had provided the source code. They had been working with a company out of China um, and they had provided the source code to that information. Uh, shortly after that, the company uh, cut the ties with the American company and the American company lost uh, some $800 million in lost revenue immediately uh, and it had a greater than $1 billion in market value loss. Uh, their stocks went down. Uh, I did not look to see if the company is still in business today, but um, you want to protect that intellectual information and it was just the gentleman 
engineer, thumb drive, and emailed it to someone. Some of the threats, um, as most of you are probably familiar with, viruses and malware, um, going to uh, websites. Uh, some websites get uh, hacked, even news websites. Uh, redirect, uh, will re redirect you to another website. Um, and information can get loaded onto your computer, virus and malware. Uh, ransomware, your computer can get locked out. Uh, there's been cases, recent cases of uh, school systems being hacked and uh, having to pay a ransom in order to get their information back uh, as well. Phishing attacks, um, spear phishing, or, or just uh, casting a net out, hoping that someone can click on the link in the email. Um, I'm sure everyone has gotten emails from uh, the lottery winner that uh, he can't claim the lottery winnings, but if you can send him $1,200 or something like that, uh, you know, he'll give you the ticket um, and it's yours. Uh, malicious web components, uh, active components, mobile apps, uh, your phone as well as, uh, as other items. Removable media um, uh, is also there. Um, unsecured wireless networks. You go to a hotel, a lot of times you check in. Uh, there could be a similar wireless network that has the same, um, so being a Hilton Honors member or, or another hotel, uh, you could have a similar uh, SSID that's being transmitted and now I'm attached to an unsecured network that uh, is a man in the middle uh, perspective. Um, so vulnerabilities uh, from a safety domain, they're called bugs. Uh, sometimes they're called flaws or weaknesses, um, uh, specifically in the security domain. Uh, they can occur at all levels. Uh, within the source code, um, uh, typically they can be fixed with a single line of code. Uh, flaws can exist in all levels. Um, subtle problems that are instantiated in code, um, but are also present in the missing in the design. Uh, defects encompasses both implementation bugs and design flaws, weaknesses. They could lie dormant for years until someone has discovered that, uh, that weakness. Um, there was a 2004 uh, real player, not sure if anyone's familiar with that, but even static code analysis that's meant to look for those type of vulnerabilities or the common vulnerabilities, if you would. Um, 2004, the software programmer had gone in and whatever the name of the static code analysis he had put in the comments ignored this line. Um, and so typically a lot of times for, for static code analysis, you're, you're wanting someone else to review the code and ensure that that code is either uh, that particular uh, finding is a false positive or something else. Uh, but that, that particular vulnerability was discovered and uh, real player had to patch that. And when they went back and looked at the source code, the software programmer had uh, believed it to be a false positive in, in which case allowed the static code analysis to ignore uh, that particular system or that particular line. So a basic definition of cyber vulnerability uh, refers to the inability to withstand the effects of a hostile environment open to attack or damage. Uh, from the CISSP uh, book of knowledge, uh, cyber vulnerability, flaw, weakness that exists in a system. Attacker has access to that flaw and the attacker has the capability to exploit it. Uh, 
Um, the defenders, the security engineers, your information assurance engineers can only impact the top two. He cannot impact what the, the attacker has capability of doing. Um, so you can only control that aspect of it. Um, <clears throat> if you go out to the SANS websites and look at the uh, common uh, weakness enumeration, uh, buffer overflow is still number three. And it's been discussed since 1988. Um, one of my first projects as an undergrad at University of Tennessee was uh, a four-function calculator. Um, I don't know if there was a buffer overflow capability in there, but I do know I did not include uh, input validation checks when I received input from the key from uh, someone using it. Uh, I do know that my professor, the first thing he looked at was a divide by zero. I had not account for a divide by zero error. Uh, so earlier on, that gave me a, a perspective of having to look at the total system, everything aspect, not just focused on getting the product out the door that's working. Um, so I should have known about the divide by zero. I should have accounted for that uh, from a systems engineering perspective and included a check to make sure that the, uh, it, there was that particular um, case did not exist, or at least I through an error to the operator. So the risks are the probability that threat agents using threats exploits against a system, system weakness. Um, higher program system risks come at, uh, with more vulnerabilities and increased threats. So the higher the, uh, the reward, if you would, uh, the more threats uh, that you may have against that particular system. Um, some easy examples of different levels of risks, you know, a company laptop left in a rental vehicle. Uh, we've had cases where uh, an employee has left the laptop in a rental vehicle and it's been broken into and, uh, and stolen. Um, exposure. Is the damage done through a threat taking advantage of that vulnerability? Um, how exposed is your system? Um, you can have data deletion, modification, unless you have integrity checks in there as well. Um, malicious code deployed in a uh, private network stealing sensitive customer information, um, as well as unauthorized viewing of your credit cards. How many have heard about credit card scammers? Scamming, scammers. Um, <clears throat> I had an incident, Fort Worth Bank, local bank in Fort Worth. Uh, there was an ATM machine at Lockheed Martin um, that uh, I typically would go to withdraw money. Um, I got a phone call from my bank one day that said, uh, they asked me if I had just withdrawn $400 from, Istanbul, from an ATM in Istanbul, Turkey. And I said, well, the fact that you just called me on my home number, I'm going to say no, that that was not me. Uh, come to find out three months later, the, the bank came out and said that they had a uh, flaw in their transaction systems. If you were a member of that particular bank, they encrypted all of your transactions. Uh, if you were not a member, then the transactions were stored unencrypted. And so uh, an attacker had gained access to their transaction, their databases, and naturally he saw the one was encrypted and he went after the one that was not encrypted and stole my ATM debit card information and was able to create another card and then pass it out on the black market. Uh, but that was an exposure that I was unaware of. 
Uh, I trusted the bank, I trusted the ATMs to protect my information. So sometimes the exposure or that risk is not known to you as a consumer as well. Um, and that's why thinking outside the box is, uh, is very vital and important. Um, DOD calls countermeasures typically a security control. Um, access information, um, cryptography, integrity are all typical security controls that uh, we put in place on systems to, uh, to protect the confidentiality, availability, integrity of the systems. Um, however, countermeasures are only implemented if they uh, are less than your exposure, uh, dollar-wise. Three types of countermeasures. The physical countermeasures, those are your uh, gates, guards, your badge readers, access uh, to a particular uh, room, data center. I'm sure the data center here at Purdue has only certain authorized people that have access to it. Um, administrative, those are gonna be your policies. Um, actually, I have a, another slide on that, so let's go to the next slide. Uh, administrative, you'll have your uh, policies, standards, and procedures that are there. Uh, technical aspects could be smart cards, biometrics, um, as well as network design, any, any technological aspect that's implementing a control or allowing access to something. Uh, username, password as well. Um, attack surface. Area or parts of a system or a network that are available to assailant to compromise the system. Um, if one of the first things you uh, need to reduce or fundamentally reduce is your attack surface to an acceptable level. Uh, typically Amazon would not have their financial uh, aspects on a forward-facing web application server. Uh, the typical Amazon user logging in and getting a book or ordering a, a movie off of Hulu um, would not need that access. Um, so you want to separate those information, keep it, uh, reduce your attack vectors. The things that needs to be out forward facing, those would have to be there uh, for a reason. Um, let me ask a question. Uh, what's the largest network that you believe is existing throughout the world? Is it a cell phone, internet? I'd like to propose that your outlets, right, the uh, 115 outlets that uh, are all around, think about how many homes are connected with power sources, um, the information out there. Uh, information can also go over those lines as well. Uh, sometimes the risk or the, um, the potential risk is uh, not right in front of you. Uh, 2009, uh, PS2 keyboards. Um, there was a way for an individual in an adjacent room, he had to be on the same power grid or the same power line as your computer was on, but he could monitor key logs. He could key log, keystroke uh, logging, everything that you typed in, and he did not need to be in the same room, shoulder surfing or anything else um, through, uh, I believe it was $80 worth of equipment. He could uh, capture your information. And that, again, that was from 50 feet away. 
So that's, your, that's an attack surface that you probably wouldn't think about. Um, so the same vulnerability um, will have varying uh, levels of risk, um, depending on the content or the con-ops or the environment. Uh, if you had a first floor apartment, uh, the window in that first floor apartment would have a different uh, risk associated with a window on the eighth floor. Um, so you might put locks on a window on the first floor, but uh, you might pay $10 or $20 to get a locking mechanism to make sure someone couldn't open the window. But on the eighth floor, would it make sense for you to spend the $10 or $20 to buy that locking mechanism? Probably not, depending on if that window was near a fire escape or, or other external uh, access to that window. Um, so again, based upon your asset value, uh, the safeguard that you put in place, you do not want to spend more than the cost of that asset. and a flaw or a weakness may not necessarily produce a vulnerability. So that same flaw with the window, while it produces a vulnerability on the first floor, does not necessarily produce that vulnerability on the eighth floor or lessens the vulnerability, your exposure. Uh, risk management, goal of risk management, process, process of detecting, determining, and reducing risk to an acceptable level. Uh, it may involve maintenance of a risk at a certain level rather than reducing the risk. Um, uses risk analysis to justify countermeasures. So when, uh, when you're asked to do a risk analysis, uh, you have to do it subjectively, but you need to do it um, in a uh, quantifiable way. So as the data owner, when you present it to the data owner, he can ascertain whether the countermeasure that needs to be implemented is worth that. Um, some areas of a risk uh, includes physical damage. Um, We've had uh, two hurricanes that hit Texas. A lot of flooding in that area. Uh, the hurricane in Puerto Rico as well as uh, that same hurricane came coming through Florida as well. Um, those are type of uh, risk, damage risks. Uh, I think the, uh, they flew some aircraft out of one of the Air Force bases there in Florida out to Texas uh, Air Force Base as well to protect that asset. That asset was a valuable asset and they, they flew them out in order to protect it. <clears throat> Again, need to determine the value of the assets. Without that, the selection of the countermeasures are very difficult to ascertain. Uh, considerations for when determining value of assets could be the initial costs, the replacement costs, the cost to maintain, um, loss of critical technology, like with that wind uh, energy company, how do you value that software that they had for that? Um, and I think it was the software uh, mostly dealing with uh, adjusting the turbines for the direction of the wind so they can maximize the energy output of their, uh, their aspects. Um, additionally, um, from a DOD perspective, so harm to mission or uh, personnel if the asset is compromised. Again, uh, as you'll see in an example later on, um, that uh, human life has a value associated with it. Um, 
So some type of common threats um, besides the typical IT common threat, uh, worms, uh, viruses, are the floods, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, um, fires. California had a lot of fires and deaths associated with that. Um, intruders, uh, employees, insider threat is also there as well. Corporate espionage, uh, similar to the case with the wind, uh, wind energy company. Um, each of those threats needs to be evaluated for that particular system. Some threats may not be applicable to that system. So this is the uh, overview of the main steps involved in a risk analysis. Again, you need the uh, signing of the value of the information that you're trying to protect. Uh, you need to estimate the potential loss per risk. Uh, perform a threat analysis. Derive the overall loss potential per risk. Uh, choose a remedial measure to counteract each risk. And reduce, assign, or transfer, or accept the risk. Um, I have two examples coming up that we'll work through and uh, see if we can come up with the result of whether we need to include a countermeasure or not, or if the right decision was made. So there's two types of uh, approaches, risk analysis that you can do, again, quantitative and qualitative. Um, quantitative is the most uh, encompassing one. Uh, it requires more resources. It requires access to uh, lots of data. Uh, insurance companies understands uh, they've, they've looked at automobile accidents for years and they understand that the typical driver under the age of 25 has more accidents than those that are over 25 and so they have higher insurance rates for those that are younger drivers uh, as I'm sure some of you all are aware of that. Um, but they can't do a countermeasure unless they offer a discount if you take a uh, driver's ed course or some type of of, of driving course that helps you understand the risk associated with the driving aspects. So quantitative is definitely the better one to choose. Qualitative is though if you have a short time span that you need to get something out, you can do qualitative. Um, qualitative is a little more subjective uh, and sometimes what ends up happening is you have a hybrid approach where you use some subjectivity even for a quantitative, uh, quantitative uh, evaluation. Um, collecting the data for the quantitative, uh, quantitative analysis includes protected assets should have values assigned. Uh, threats and corresponding risks should be identified. Loss potential needs to be estimated. Estimation of frequency needs to be calculated as well as remedial measures should be recognized and recommended. Um, one of the um, first items that uh, that needs to be evaluated is the single uh, single loss expectancy. Um, so you have the asset value, which is this building, and then you have the exposure factor of a fire uh, and the percent of loss. Now one might conclude that the, the loss of this asset was 100%, um, but the land is still valuable. That land that the building is on still has some value, so the 100% is not there. Um, it's a corner lot, uh, not sure where the picture was taken, but um, it most certainly has a value on that corner lot. So you can't, um, 
you can't assume that particular value as your exposure factor or your loss. Uh, with the single loss expectancy, now you can compute your annual loss, uh, single loss event. You can now com compute your an annualized loss expectancy uh, by taking that single uh, loss e expectancy and multiplying it by your annual rate of occurrence. Um, that one is a little more difficult. Uh, you need to understand the threat and how, how often those threats are attacking for you to understand uh, what your uh, annual rate of occurrence might be. Uh, it's typically done in percentage, and then you would multiply that to come up with your annual uh, annualized loss expectancy. So as an example, uh, e-commerce site value at 300000 uh, based on liability costs, confidentiality data, being corrupted, and loss in revenue. If there's an estimated 40% uh, exposure factor in damages, um, then your uh, asset value time exposure factor, so your single loss expectancy, would be 120,000. Um, based on current cyber controls, this threat would be estimated to happen once every 10 years. So your annualized um, your annual rate of occurrence is uh, 0.1. So you should not spend over $12,000 a year to protect that particular asset uh, when you do the calculation. If you're spending more than that, um, then you're spending more than what the asset is worth. Risk analysis determines possible damage caused by the threats. It helps justify the necessary controls. So when you go to your executives with your analysis, uh, you can provide them the dollar figure to say, if we implement X, we'll reduce our risk by this amount. Um, but again, you have to have that uh, value of the assets as well. End of risk avoidance. Uh, I'm sorry, era of risk management, non-avoidance. We can't avoid the risk. It must be managed. Um, I'm going to skip over this slide. Intellect feeling. Um, when conducting risk analysis, so um, from an intellectual perspective, we need to be logical. Um, when dealing with human life, though, there's emotions, uh, so there's feelings associated with that. Um, and what, do you, what dollar value do you assign on a human life? Uh, one of my case examples coming up soon, uh, we'll go into that. Um, and uh, I do have feelings. I think any human life, uh, loss of human life is, is one that should not have occurred, uh, but on the same token, you have to assign a value of some sort, and you'll see going through the example of how to, how to go about doing that. Um, in order to get security, though, you have to trade off something, either money, freedom, convenience, et cetera. The two use cases I'd like to go through, one is a financial, and the other one would be a safety one. Financial use case, uh, financial use case, transaction servers, produce $100,000 per minute. Um, 
maximum potential a uh, a annual revenue would be $52 billion. 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year. That's a lot of money. Credit card theft, credit card losses, average two to three million dollars per year, annually. I have a confidentiality control that I would like to implement to eliminate potential credit card theft. The cost for this implementation is 100,000 annually. Just by this immediate information available to you, it would be worthwhile to implement that control. 100,000 is much less than two to three million that the credit card companies are paying based upon credit card theft. However, let's say that confidentiality control application affects my availability of those financial servers. Let's say the effect reduces my availability uh, utilization by 0.1%. Well, if I take 0.1% out of my 52 billion annualized uh, revenue, annual revenue, uh, I have $52 million in lost revenue. That number is far greater than the two to $3 million that I lose due, due to credit card theft. So from a credit card company perspective, they would not implement this particular control um, because it's, it's cheaper for them to pay it, it out due to credit card theft. It's an inconvenience to us as consumers when your card is stolen, but it's a cheaper uh, cost-effective solution for them. The safety use case. Uh, so this is, uh, Dr. Coloni warned me about the, the uh, trouble with valuation of human life. So, um, We'll, uh, we'll get to the point of this here in a, in a moment. And I think I'm slightly ahead based upon the clock there. Uh, so Ford Pinto built 1971 to 1980, uh, $2,000 roughly, bucket seats, four-cylinder engine. Um, the tragedy in 1972, Grimshaw versus Ford Motor Company. Um, <clears throat> they, they sued because there was a death. Uh, Ford had a problem um, that uh, when in a rear end collision would cause a fire, potentially could cause a fire. Uh, so that was the, the, the example. However, the National Highway and Transportation uh, Safety Administration in 1974 had ruled that Pinto had no uh, recallable problem. Um, the benefit estimate, so Ford the bean counters went through the risk analysis. Uh, they estimated 180 burn deaths, 180 serious burn injuries, 2,100 burned vehicles each year. And so the estimate of all of that, uh, based upon $200,000 per death, um, $67,000 per injury and $700 per vehicle, came out to be $49.5 million for their um, liability, if you would, uh, because of this problem with the auto. The cost of the recall. They estimated uh, 11 million cars were impacted and 1.5 million light trucks were also impacted because of that design. $11 per car, $11 per truck, uh, $137 million. So their liability if they did, did nothing was less than the liability if they did a, a voluntary recall of the problem. 
lawsuit damages. Uh, so ultimately, in this particular case, they were that uh, they were awarded six million dollars total, two point five in compensatory, compensatory, and three point five in punitive. Um, from a risk analysis point of view, Ford made the right decision. Um, it's cheaper to settle lawsuits. Uh, emotionally, though, someone losing their life is is a different reaction, and and you'll see. Uh, the, I think the next slide that talks about that. So the jury, however, had awarded 125 uh, million in punitive, um, but typically what happens is a lot of times the punitive piece gets reduced by the judge. Um, human life value. So why did Ford pick $200,000 as the value of a human life? That was the accepted standardized figure of loss of earnings in 1970s uh, by the National Highway and Transportation Safety Administration. Uh, today, court cases uh, are, they use a discounted uh, future earnings on human capital. Uh, so a young PhD uh, professional in engineering and medicine, law, um, they have a higher, greater loss earning potential than an elder, older individual, office worker uh, that's a couple years from retirement. Um, so there is a variation today versus the standard 200,000. Um, it has been deemed or seemed as fair factor for assigning actual damages for human loss. Human uh, loss. Uh, ultimately, all life is quantifiable uh, by money. Um, we have court cases where when there is a, a loss of life, the family members will typically take that company or that uh, institution or whatever that caused the death to court and they settle for value. It, doesn't bring the person back, obviously, um, but uh, somehow, somewhere, we have assigned a value to that human life, or believe that there is a value assigned uh, for human life. Um, the emotion versus hard engineering data. So 1977, uh, National Highway Transportation did order Ford to recall the Pintos to install the fix. Uh, they did so. Ford did incur, at that time, a branding issue or a branding problem. A lot of people didn't want to buy a Ford because they didn't trust Ford. But if you fast forward about 30 years to 2008 when the auto industry, uh, Ford was the only out of the big three auto manufacturers uh, here in the United States, um, Ford was the only one in a position to withstand the, the hit that the auto industry took in 2008. Uh, maybe they spent more money over that time period to rebrand re themselves that they probably may not have done had they had this event had not occurred. Uh, I have not looked at that study yet. Um, however, study in 1998 um, found out that there's been uh, from 90 to 93, a total of 293 deaths during that time span uh, with any car. Um, uh, 45 collisions resulted in death by, uh, by fire, 65 deaths uh, Fifty-eight percent of the fires resulted from frontal collision. So today in an auto, automobile accident, uh, statistically there's no difference between a front, rear, or a side or rollover accident that, uh, that you could potentially have a fire in your car. Ultimately in the Pinto condition, uh, 27 people were determined to have been killed in a rear, uh, rear end crash explosion involving the Pintos. Um, so from that perspective, Ford made the right decision. They had estimated a higher number. 
but the actual numbers was less. Um, there's some f uh, rumors, some um, uh, facts that are out there that people uh, have reported and said that Pinto's caused a great number of deaths in that time. But when you look at the, the raw data, the statistics of it, that's, that doesn't hold uh, true. So in conclusion, um, ultimately we must do a better job at estimating the real costs associated with the risks, uh, associated with the assets and the data that we need to protect. We must compare the cybersecurity controls, safeguards, the cost of implementing those controls and safeguards uh, to the value of the asset that we're trying to protect. Um, I think we need to rethink the, the balance application of administrative, physical, and technical controls. Not all controls that would be beneficial to the system is a technical control that needs to be, uh, that has a cost associated with it. Some of it can be administrative uh, control as well, or training, training awareness. Um, we must do all of this in order to, uh, one, reduce costs for future programs, for future systems, as well as to achieve a risk management approach, balanced approach to cybersecurity. Um, and in order to do that, we need to think outside the box at our solutions that we provide. So that concludes my slide. If anyone has any questions or future Questions that for me? Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Are there any questions? All right, well, I'll go ahead and uh, ask one then uh, since okay. we have a minute or two. Um, so, uh, right, I guess a lot of the premise here is that we can uh, place a value and kind of, you know, quantitatively measure the value of each asset. Uh, do you think that? Uh, there are some assets that are, you know, just not possible to value because you know, the value of that asset may not be known until a future date, or do you think that it's possible to place a, you know, realistic value on any so, asset? So initially, uh, earlier on, yes. Uh, so you may not know the true value of something until you've uh, further developed that particular item um, as you're doing research and development, especially from a corporation or even an academia uh, aspect. Um, so, but you need to assign some value. Um, whether it's a higher value or a lesser value, you need to look at it from a holistic uh, approach and try to determine what that value is. Uh, typically the data owner, so the user or the, the individual that would be implementing that, what value would they put on that? Uh, and it is a, it, sometimes it can be subjective. You may have to look at other systems, other like systems, other uh, items in place, and not just necessarily the cost of research and development of that system or the cost to produce that system. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it does become difficult to assign a value on, especially intellectual property. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a laptop or hardware, something that I can purchase, I can assign a value to because I know how much it costs to reproduce or how much it costs to buy another one. Um, but the data becomes a more difficult aspect of assigning a value to it. Okay. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. All right, don't forget to sign in if you haven't. Uh...